Father, in the glorious and victorious name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus, we are grateful for another opportunity to connect, to share, to learn, and to grow. We thank you for the wisdom and the revelation that is in your word. We thank you for the immunization that is in the word, immunizing our soul against thought viruses, negative thought viruses sent to contaminate our greater destiny. We declare that our destiny will not be contaminated. Our vision will not be contaminated. Our dreams will not be contaminated and our destiny will be preserved. Lord, we are praying for wisdom and revelation knowledge, prudence, understanding, instruction, direction, wisdom, and we are praying for spiritual equipping that we may fight a good fight of faith. Teach our hands to war and our fingers to fight and be glorified in tonight's session in Jesus' magnificent name. And all the people said amen and amen. All the people said amen. Fantastic, fantastic. So in response to the global pandemic, um, the subsequent lockdown and the uh, psychological and spiritual climate in which we find ourselves, and we're doing it so that we can feed our faith and so that we can learn how to experience greater victories even in the midst of calamity and adversity, there is no promise from God in the scriptures that we will not experience tribulation or adversity. In fact, he says, when you pass through the fire and through the flood, I'm going to be with you. That's the promise we have is the promise of God's presence. And because God is for us, then no one and no thing can be against us. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and who are called according to his purpose. And so this is the confidence that we have in him that in whatever situation or circumstance we find ourselves, we are not abandoned, we are not forsaken. God has a plan for these perilous times and he is working mysteriously behind the scenes, setting us up for the next step up. Well, of course, these are things we have to remind ourselves of over and over again, particularly when our minds are being bombarded with um, fearful thoughts, anxious thoughts, troubling news. We have to feed our faith. And, and as I shared with you in a previous session, there is a relationship in Hebrew between the word fight and the word feed. And the suggestion is that we fight by feeding our faith, because our fight is the good fight of faith. And as we feed our faith and strengthen our faith, we'll be able to carry out a more effective campaign against the enemy. We will simply become bigger and stronger, better, faster, wiser, smarter, and outgrow our opposition and our adversity. And this is perhaps why Psalm 23, David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
And if you look at the imagery, he's talking about being surrounded by enemies and God's answer to your to 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 you being surrounded by enemies is to set a table before you is to get you to start feeding and feasting. And this is why we've ramped up. We've ramped up quite significantly um, our delivery of the word and our teaching of the word. This is why our Sunday hour of power is, is a time of praise and worship, a time of prayer, but fundamentally a time of teaching. And this is why Wednesday night is a time of teaching. And there are other teaching opportunities, feeding opportunities, learning opportunities that we are rolling out all the time. Well, uh, tonight's session is particularly profound, particularly profound. And I am persuaded that if we get it tonight, we will become unstoppable, invincible, and impregnable. We will demonstrate and exhibit a boldness that is unexplainable and a confidence that is unexplainable, yet undeniable. And so we're going to talk tonight about the power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power in the blood. There is power in the blood. And what we really want to deal with tonight is what makes the blood of Jesus a weapon of spiritual warfare. Why is the blood of Jesus a weapon of spiritual warfare? And if it is, how do I use it to fight uh, a good fight? Now, of course, if you've hung around the culture of Christianity for any length of time, you will know that we sing about the blood of Jesus, we celebrate the blood of Jesus, we plead the blood of Jesus in our prayers, and, and if you're new to the culture of Christianity and haven't been exposed to an in-depth teaching on the blood, then it can either sound quite morbid that, that we celebrate blood, the blood of Jesus uh, and his sacrifice, uh, or it just simply doesn't make any sense why it is that we're so excited about what Jesus did on the cross and about the fact that his blood, his life flowed from seven strategic wounds inflicted on him upon the cross. There were seven strategic wounds inflicted on him and each wound served a specific redemptive purpose. And without a comprehension of that, it's difficult to appreciate our celebration of the blood. We talk about being washed in the blood, covered by the blood. We plead the blood. So we're going to go through some things tonight. And here's the overview. We're going to look at the blood as a weapon. We look at the blood as a sign. We look at the blood as a covenant, the blood as redemption, the blood as atonement, the blood as a covering, and the blood as evidence. And of course, we definitely are not going to have time within this hour to thoroughly or comprehensively unpack uh, all of these ideas, but we're going to try to create a window and help us to see more clearly uh, why it is that the blood of Jesus is the central theme of Christianity and what faith in his blood will do for you. So we're going to start with a passage of scripture, which is Revelation 12, verses 10 to 11. Revelation 12, verses 10 to 11. 
and it reads, and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God, before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Wow and wow. Well, of course, Revelation is written in prophetic picture language, and the imagery, the, the allegories, the metaphors and analogies uh, do need to be interpreted. And undoubtedly, there are lots of schools of thought surrounding the meaning of the pictures. But what we do see in Revelation 12 is Satan falling from heaven, being cast out of heaven by an angelic host led by Michael, the archangel, and he casts the dragon out. He casts the devil out of heaven. And with the fall of Satan, with the fall of the enemy, this voice was heard, a loud voice in heaven saying, now is come salvation. Now has come strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his anointed, the power of his Christ. Why now? Why now is salvation here, strength and the kingdom and the power? Now, because the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. So only when you cast down the accuser does salvation and strength and the kingdom and the power of the Christ become experiential, evidential, manifest realities in your life. Uh, because you can talk about salvation and strength. You can talk about the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ without experiencing salvation and strength, the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ. Because you only experience these things in the day that the accuser and his accusations are cast down. When the accuser and his accusations are cast down, then you are going to experience the power of heaven on earth. Then salvation comes, strength comes, the kingdom comes, the power of his Christ comes. But so long as the accuser and his accusations have preeminence in your mind, have dominance in your thought, are presiding over your paradigm, then you cannot experience salvation and strength, the kingdom and the power of God. So the key to salvation, strength, kingdom, the power is to cast down the accuser and his accusations. And the Bible says that they overcame him. This is the this is the saints of God. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. So this is, the, this is why the blood of Jesus is a weapon of war, because we overcome the devil, which is the accuser. The word devil actually means accuser. We overcome the accuser and his accusations by the blood. How do we overcome the accuser and his accusations? By the blood of Jesus, 
we overcome the accuser and his accusations. So, so why is it important to overcome the accuser and his accusations? Because so long as the accuser and, his, and the, his accusations are presiding over your paradigm and have preeminence in your mind, you cannot experience salvation and strength. And, the, and, and when I say salvation here, you know, the, the Greek word translated salvation actually has manifold meanings. You know, it means deliverance and healing and, and preservation and, and recovery and restoration and, and redemption and wholeness. And all of these concepts are embodied in the word salvation. And we can talk about these things and even sing about these things, but we don't experience them and we don't experience strength and we don't experience the kingdom uh, of God, which is not meat and drink but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And we don't experience the power of his anointed, the power of his Christ, until the accuser and his accusations are cast down. And the way you cast them down is by the blood of the lamb. Whew, this is why the blood of Jesus is such a mighty weapon of war. Then it goes on to say, and by the word of their testimony, Hilo, glory to God. So uh, I'm going I'm I'm to show you a mystery here in a moment. And they loved not their lives unto the death. A more modern translation would say they were not afraid to die. And let's look at this mystery. The mystery is that in order for you to have the confidence and the boldness to not be afraid of persecution, opposition, adversity, criticism, uh, threats, even death itself, for you to not be afraid, for you to not be afraid, then you have to know something. There's something you have to literally know. And, um, and what it is that you know is something about the blood. So they overcome him by the blood of the lamb. And this enables them to testify and to be fearless in the face of adversity. So I wanna break this down as follows. We overcome the accuser and his accusations by the blood of Jesus. We what? We overcome the accuser and his accusations by the blood of Jesus. This specific form of victory is not circumstantial as much as it is psychological. Okay, so, so what does the accuser come against you with? He comes against you with accusation. Okay, so victory over an accusation is not a circumstantial victory, it's a psychological victory. And why does psychological victory matter? It matters because the objective of the enemy is control of your mind. The enemy may use your body, but he may attack your body, but he's trying to get your mind. He may attack your finances, but he's trying to get your mind. He may attack your marriage, but he's trying to get your mind. He may attack your health, but he's trying to get your mind. Whatever attack you are experiencing in your life is ultimately aiming at your mind, which is why the demonic strongholds start out as suggestions they then become scenarios and then they become strongholds. They start out as suggestions 
And then as you dwell on them, they become scenarios that we are envisaging and our imagination is engaged. And with the imagination is the emotion. And then when we act on the scenario, it becomes a stronghold. And when we cast down demonic strongholds, what we are doing is we are casting down imaginations and every idea that exalts itself against the truth of God. So it is very, very important that we realize that the blood is really protection for our mind and that we are overcoming by the blood a very specific type of assault, okay? A very specific type of assault. So what tends to happen, uh, you know, people get attacked in their finance and they'll turn around and say, you know, I plead the blood, okay? well. The blood is not an effective weapon against a financial situation. It is an effective weapon against the thoughts that you are thinking as a result of the financial situation. Because the blood is, is a weapon against the accuser and his accusations. So when you are pleading the blood, what you're doing is casting down imaginations. You're casting down every idea, notion, philosophy, teaching, doctrine that exalts itself against the truth of God. And you are giving Satan no place in your mind. Because guess what? If you can get the victory within, it's a matter of time before you get the victory without. If you can win the battle that is raging here, then you will quickly deal with the financial situation, the health situation, the domestic situation, the workplace situation, the, the criticism, the persecution, if you can deal with this. So that's, that's victory by the blood. So watch this. It is victory over the thoughts, okay? the thoughts that fill us with fear. That's the kind of victory we're talking about. Fearful thoughts, victory over fearful thoughts, victory over the thoughts that fill us with fear. You cannot defeat the devil if you lack confidence towards God. Woo, is that good or is that good? You cannot defeat, you, you, you can't even fight the devil if you doubt God's presence with you God's love for you, God's provision for you, God's favor on you. How do you get up and fight the devil if you have doubts about God? Which is why if the devil's going to attack you, what he's going to do is attack you from without. That's the smoke screen. He's actually trying to attack you from within by causing you to doubt God's love, God's grace, God's favor, God's presence, God's promises, God's provision, God's power. He wants you to doubt God. Now, if you have any, if you're struggling with that, just go back to Genesis chapter three and you'll see the fall of man. The fall of man was the result of a conversation between the serpent and the woman. And in that conversation, what the devil sowed was doubt about God. You shall not surely die. God knows in the day you eat, you will be as gods. What is he doing? He's sowing a seed of doubt about God's intention, about God's character, about God's integrity. He is 
he is even about God's power. He is sowing the seeds of doubt. Those suggestions became scenarios, and when she acted on them, they became strongholds. So this is a very, you know, um, specific form of victory. The victory over the accuser and his accusations is a specific form of victory, and it's victory over the thoughts that fill us with fear, because you cannot defeat the devil if you lack confidence towards God. Faith in the blood of Jesus is the basis for our confidence towards God. So what's the basis for your confidence towards God? What, um, upon what basis are you confident that God is with you, that God is for you, that God has made a provision for you, that God's got you? What's the basis for that? And for far too many Christians, yeah, I'm going to say it, the basis is good works and good performance. The exact same basis um, uh, that was alive in the Old Testament under the Levitical system and the law that came by Moses. For many Christians, the basis of their confidence towards God is their works, their prayer life, their fasting, their tithing, their, 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 their you know, benevolent acts. Uh, their, and, and for many, it's the things they don't do. Well, I don't do this, I don't that, I don't, I don't, I don't. You got a whole list of things you don't do and you got a few things that you do and that's the basis for your confidence towards God. Well, let me tell you something. You will not overcome the accuser and his accusations if, you're, if the basis for your confidence towards God has anything to do with your performance. Because guess what? At your best, you are sometime-ish. Now, if, you, if you've never heard the word sometime-ish, you heard it right now. You, 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 know, you, you are sometime-ish. Uh, we are not consistent, and uh, you know, you know, we 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 are we have good, bad, and ugly, and we negotiate inconsistency within ourselves. We are strong in some areas, we are weak in others. We are smart in some areas, we're foolish in others. You know, if the basis of your confidence is your performance then uh, you will not get victory over the accuser and his accusations. But if the basis is the blood that Jesus shed, if the basis for your confidence towards God is faith in Jesus shed blood, I promise you the accuser and his accusations will come falling down. And when they are cast down, now comes salvation and strength. Now comes the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Now comes the reality of the experience of Christianity, of redemption and reconciliation to God, because the devil can't get round the blood. He cannot get by the blood. Ooh, hallelujah. Almost want to shout and start running right now. Maybe you're free to do that in your house, but, but uh, I'm telling you, the devil cannot get by the blood. And we're going to break it down right now. I'm going to explain why the cross, why the cross uh, is, is the ultimate solution to the dilemma of sin. You know, sin is the dilemma. Um, you know, uh, God made man in the Genesis in his image, in his likeness, and gave him dominion over everything. 
made him king of the world, lord of the land. And while God was his king, uh, the earth was Adam's domain. And he lost it. He fell from his place. He fell from innocence. And a breach, a breach in the relationship between him and God occurred in Genesis 2. And in that gap flew demons and darkness and consequences and results of sin. Before sin came into the world, there was no death in the world. Before sin came into the world, there was no disease in the world. Before sin came into the world, there was no debt in the world. Before sin came into the world, there was no depression. The paradise that was lost was lost through sin. And so unless you can deal with sin, the sin issue, you cannot find the paradise again. Because in that breach in the relationship, in that gap, flew demons and devils and spiritual wickedness that has turned the world into a war zone ever since. The world has been a battlefield ever since the fall of man. And the, the dilemma is sin. And it is a dilemma because God is holy and God is just. I want to say it again. God is holy and God is just. He is the supreme court of the universe. And no court would be just if it simply said, okay, you've committed a crime, but I like you. I'm not going to punish you. Just, 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 just don't do it anymore. That's not justice. And I think we understand that. Sometimes we don't understand that unless you are the victim of a crime. When you're the victim of a crime and you attend the court, uh, you know, to hear the culprit being judged, you know it would be so unjust for the judge to say, well, yes, you did commit the crime. And yes, you did cause all this damage to this family over here. And yes, you did hurt them, but I like you and you can go. That's not a system of justice. So sin has to be paid for. It has to be paid for. Otherwise, the justice of God is compromised. The holiness of God is compromised. The Supreme Court of Heaven is compromised if the wages of sin is not paid, if the penalty for sin is not paid. But that's a dilemma because God loves us. He loves us. And um, he wants to restore us. And his plan of restoring us was so evident in the beginning, which is why, you know, God made coats of skin for Adam and Eve, and he covered their nakedness. Their feeble attempt to cover their nakedness uh, was not adequate. God made coats of skin, but to make the coat of skin, specifically says skin, God had to slay an animal. And guess what? That animal was totally innocent. That animal was totally innocent. So an innocent died to cover the guilty. We see that in Genesis chapter three. What is that? It's the origin of the gospel of salvation. It's the beginning of that crimson thread that runs through the whole entire Bible from the old right into the new, explaining God's plan to redeem, to reclaim, and to restore 
lost and fallen humanity. He slew an animal that was innocent. The blood was shed. And then he wrapped Adam and Eve in the skin. He made a coat, a leather coat for Adam and Eve. So this is the reason why the blood of Jesus is the only weapon you can use against the accuser and his accusations. A glory to God. So here's what 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says. Okay. It says, for our sake, he made him, that is Jesus, to be sin. Who knew no sin? Christ committed no sin. He's the innocent one. But God has made him to be sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. This, what we're seeing then at the cross is God transferring our sins to Christ and transferring his righteousness to us. This way, the sin is punished, the debt is paid, but we can go free because you can't punish both of them. So it's like, you know, you're in the court and the judge says, okay, um, I'm going to fine you. You're going to be fined a hundred pounds for your, your crime. And you don't have a hundred pounds. And if you don't have a hundred pounds, you're going to have to spend a month inside. Okay. A month in custody, but you don't have a hundred pounds. But your brother comes along and says, you know what? I've got a hundred pounds. I'll, I'll pay the hundred pound fine. So what the judge cannot now do is take the money from your brother and then still ask you for the money because your brother has paid a debt he didn't owe because you owed a debt you could not pay. But the justice has to, once, once they receive it, once the courts receive it, then the debt has been paid. So this is really what was happening at the cross. Christ was paying a debt he didn't owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. And from heaven received it, you are now debt free. And you can walk out of the court with no fear of imprisonment, no fear of incarceration, no fear of further arrest, no fear of harassment for you to pay it again. You go free, but you go free on the basis that he paid the debt. So see, when the devil comes at you and says, God's not with you, God's not for you, God, God has abandoned you, you start to remember the blood that Jesus shed, and you reinforce your faith in what Jesus did. And when you reinforce your faith in what Jesus did, the devil has no answer for that, because you are now free from your sin debt. Woo, somebody help me praise God right now. I'm preaching the gospel, the pure, unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. Woo, this is the reality. He took my place. Woo, hallelujah. What did Jesus do? He took your place. Now, if he took your place, then he has given you his place. 
It's an exchange. The cross is an exchange. And when you plead the blood and you say, devil, the blood of Jesus is against you, what you're really saying is, devil, you are a liar. I am not the sinner that God has rejected or that God is judging. I am the righteousness of God in Christ because whatever separated me from God, whatever was the breach between me and God, Jesus settled it once and for all upon the cross at Calvary. And by faith in his blood, not only does he take my place, but I take his. Now I'm standing with authority. Now I am standing with confidence. Now I rebuke you in the name of Jesus and I cast you out in the name of Jesus because I'm not doing this in my name. I'm not, I'm not standing on the merits of my performance. I am operating in the merits of his performance. I'm operating in the merit of his performance. Woo, is this exciting or is this exciting? I hope this is making some sense. I hope these pictures give you a sense of what happened here. The accusation, the crucifixion, the resurrection. It was all him taking our place. I'm gonna explain this one more time before we briefly uh, go through the seven points. God, I want you to think about this. God can only, because this is about justice. It's about integrity and it's about his holiness, okay? Remember, I said to you that if a judge hears the case and decides he's not gonna punish anyone because he just likes you, that's unjust. And, and if you don't, don't know that, then try being the victim. Okay, I've supported many victims of crime in a court. I've gone with them to court to spiritually hold their hand and give them moral support. And I know um, how some verdicts, uh, so, some, some sentences can seem so unjust in comparison to the damage committed by the crime. So no judge can ignore the damage committed by the crime and has to issue a punishment. However, if the debt is paid in full, even by another, by a relative, by a brother, if the debt is paid in full, the judge would be equally unjust to require it of you again, because actually the debt has been paid. So you're now able to go free. And when you go free, you're going free with what? Gratitude, gratitude to the one who paid your debt. Okay, someone said to me, you know, oh, I think I'm saved. I, I think I'm born again. Look, you know, when you're, you know when you're born again because gratitude towards the one who paid your debt becomes the dominant emotion in your soul. You become grateful. You know, imagine someone pays your fine and saves you three months in prison. They don't owe the debt. You can't pay the debt, but they've paid it for you. You don't just leave the court and walk away. 
you feel indebted now to the person who paid the debt. And that's the essence of Christianity. The reason I want to serve Jesus, I want to do his will, I want to be an instrument in his hand, is because I am grateful for the debt he paid on my behalf that he did not owe and that I could not pay. He took my sins away, took my place, gave me his place. I'm grateful and I want to serve him. Wish I had some help in here today. So when we look at this, um, this statement, God can only treat me, treat me as he treated Jesus. I could say this, God has to treat me the way he treated Jesus. And when I say Jesus, I'm talking about the son in whom he was well pleased. God has to treat me like he's really pleased with me. He, he literally has to bless me like he's pleased with me. He has to protect me like he's pleased with me. He has to use me like he's pleased with me. He can only treat me as he treated Jesus. Why? Because he treated Jesus as if he were me, the sinner worthy of death. So it, it would be unjust for God to treat Jesus as if he were me and then keep treating me as if I was me. Because at the cross, an exchange took place. Jesus took my place and gave me his place, okay? And this is why, you know, throughout the, the, uh, the faith of the patriarchs and the uh, Levitical system instituted by Moses, there were sacrifices. Because the idea of a substitute, a substitute, it started in the Garden of Eden, a substitute. In the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. Well, did they die? No, an innocent animal died instead. This was a revelation of the plan that a substitute, an innocent substitute, would atone for the sins of, of mankind, an innocent substitute. It's right there in Genesis chapter three. That's the plan. And that's why all of these blood sacrifices in the Old Testament, they were just pointing to that time when the Lamb of God, the spotless, the sinless, the genuinely innocent, because no one else is innocent, genuinely innocent one would come into the world and actually pay the debt he didn't owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. When John the Baptist saw him, he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Woo! God treated, God treats me as if I am as righteous as Jesus because he treated Jesus as if he were as sinful as me. He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We traded places at the cross. We traded places at the cross and I received that trade. I received that exchange by faith. So by faith, it's no longer me. It's Jesus you're dealing with. So when the devil accuses me, my faith in Jesus' blood makes the accusation null and void. It makes the accusation null and void. And the more I realize the power in the blood that Jesus shed, the more I realize the power of the cross, the more I realize this, 
is the quieter and quieter the accuser's voice becomes in my mind. And the louder and louder gratitude becomes in my mind. And the louder and louder confidence becomes in my mind. You see, there's a reason why they weren't afraid to testify. They weren't afraid of the persecution and the backlash. They weren't even afraid to die. The reason why they weren't afraid is because they absolutely knew. They absolutely knew that they were heaven ready, heaven bound, heaven sealed. They absolutely knew it. And you only absolutely know it when your faith is not in your works, but in his work on that cross. When your faith is in what Jesus has done, you know that you are heaven ready. Ooh, help me now. Why we celebrate the cross? Woo, this is, this is gonna be too much. We definitely not gonna finish today. Why we celebrate the cross? The cross gives us legitimacy. Oh my God, legitimacy. Remember this, this word, you can see the word legal in there, litigation. This whole idea that the justice of God must be satisfied uh, in the plan of redemption for humanity. God can only redeem us if the penalty for sin is paid by someone. Someone paid it, and this now legitimizes God's presence in my life and my presence in his. This legitimizes God working in me and me working in God. Legitimately, God can work in you, a sinner, because your sins are no longer an issue. They've been dealt with, they're paid for. Righteousness. The cross is the place of exchange where Christ takes your place and you take his by faith. This imputes the righteousness of Christ to the believer and transfers the sins of the believer to Christ. Wow, that's the exchange. That's the cross. Debt free. The believer will not pay for sins that have been settled by the blood. The devil brings up your past. Listen to this very carefully. Whenever the devil brings up your past, you go ahead and bring up his future. Oh, I wish I had some help here. I wish, oh my God, hallelujah. When, when the devil brings up your past, you go ahead and bring up his future, okay? Because your past is washed by the blood of Jesus. Glory to God. But his future in the lake of fire is sealed by that same blood. Now, does this mean that you will not suffer the consequences of sin? Listen to me very carefully. You will always suffer the consequences of bad decisions in this world, but your sins will never be held against you by God. So long as your faith is in Jesus' blood. See, if your faith is in your performance, then, then that's you taking off the coat of skin and putting on your fig leaves that you made, your aprons that you made. You made yourself a covering. That's called self-righteousness. God made Adam and Eve a covering. That's called God-righteousness. Authority. This one is too good. Christ became us on earth so that we could become him in heaven. On earth, he put on our garments so that in heaven we can put on his. We are authorized to operate in his name. See, that's why when we pray, we don't really pray in our own name. We're not coming on our own merit. 
we're coming through the blood into the Holy of Holies. And we're praying in the name of Jesus Christ because we have been given that power of attorney and that authority to operate in his name. And heaven receives us as the, in, the right, in the righteousness of Christ. When you pray, God is not listening to a sinner praying. He's listening to a saint uh, because, because the sinner, uh, the sinner piece was paid for at the cross, at the crossover, at the exchange. Christ became us on earth, the cross, so that we could become him in heaven. And when you go to heaven, and I don't mean when you go to heaven in the sweet by and by, but every time you pray, you go to heaven. The minute you say, Father, that's it. You're in heaven right there. The minute you say, Father, in Jesus' name, you're in heaven right there. The minute you lift your hands and say, oh, God, I worship you, you have entered into the heavenlies, okay? You haven't left the earth, but you're operating in the heavenlies. And when you're operating in the heavenlies, you are wearing a mantle. You are wearing a garment. You are wearing a robe. Heaven sees you as the righteousness of Christ. The angels salute you and all of heaven is at your attention. Why? Because of the authority you have to operate in his name. So I'm just going to run through these and close. The blood as a weapon. The enemy seeks to cast doubt on your relationship with God. That's what the enemy's trying to do. The voice of fear, i.e., God will punish you. God has abandoned you. You're not worthy of grace, etc. All of that can be overcome by faith in Christ's blood. Simply remind yourself of what the blood secured for you. Okay? Just go to the cross and realize that the devil is a liar. The blood is a sign, the Passover. The blood of a spotless lamb was placed on the doorposts and lintels of every household that believed. Every household that believed. The blood was a sign of faith. You know, in other words, you wouldn't even have put that blood on the door if you didn't believe what Moses was preaching. Moses said, death, judgment, wrath is going to pass through here tonight. And if you want it to pass over you, then put this sign of the blood of a lamb on your doorposts and lintels. And it was a cross. They didn't even realize they were, they were prefiguring the cross. And then he says, go inside, shut the door and eat the lamb, roast the lamb and eat the lamb, but go inside and shut the door. Because that night, death and wrath were going to pass through the land of Egypt. But God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. What does it mean? It means God is not going to punish me if I am under the blood of the lamb. You have to know that there no sickness in your body is the act of God punishing you. No debt in your life is the act of God punishing you. No misfortune or adversity that you experience is the act of God punishing you. He cannot punish you because you've put your faith in that blood. He doesn't want to punish you to start with, but see, You've got to get those that way of thinking out of your mind because when things go wrong, oh my God's God's punishing me. God's God's trying to teach me a lesson. God's hurt. God is not doing anything to you that is that is uh, a judgment because the judgment was already executed on Christ. 
God is loving you. Now you say, well, why are these bad things happening to me? Well, sometimes the devil's attacking you in order to get an accusation in your mind. Sometimes you're reaping the consequences of bad decisions that you have made. Come on now, uh, you're reaping those consequences. But when that happens, okay, if, if, if you don't pay your bills and, and, you know, and there's a consequence to that, you know, that's not about pleading the blood. That, listen, that's not God punishing you. Okay, God is not punishing you. This was the faith of the people who put the blood outside the door. The faith was that whatever judgment God releases in the earth, it's not going to touch me. It's not me because I'm under the blood, okay? Now, this is a very important point and I, I, I don't wanna rush over this. Remember, there's a devil out here in the world. He, he's raging because he knows he has a short time. So don't confuse an attack of the devil with the wrath of God. I'll say it again. Don't confuse an attack of the devil with the wrath of God. The devil might attack you, but that is not God's wrath against you. God's, God will never punish you. There'll never be wrath against you, okay? Uh, God will allow you some time. He'll allow you to uh, reap the consequences of bad decisions, okay? Because that's called parenting to a certain degree. And sometimes he'll, he'll come in and stop it. But, but that's not judgment from God. So when you look at this coronavirus, that's not a judgment from God. That's an attack of the devil. That's the devil knowing he has a short time. Um, that is demonic, okay? What you have to know is that even if a coronavirus infects you, that's not the wrath of God. That's not a judgment from God. That's the work of the devil. And by the blood of Jesus, I rebuke it. It's that, that's the devil. That's not the wrath of God. But see, when we all confused in terms of what qualifies us to claim the benefits of the new covenant, then we'll entertain these doubts, the accuser, our confidence goes away and we're not sure. Well, this was the faith that the children of Israel had in Egypt. They believed that if I put this blood on the house, the wrath of God will pass over. Woo! is too rich. The blood is a covenant, a solemn guarantee. The blood of Jesus is the token of the new covenant and serves as God's signature, guaranteeing the faithfulness of God and the permanence of the covenant. Let me tell you something. When we drink the wine and we eat the bread, we're just reminding ourselves how absolutely permanent is this new relationship we have with God. How faithful. It's like his signature. Okay? Um, it's the seal, it's the token of the, of the covenant. That's a whole nother teaching. The blood is redemption. The ransom for our release from all the results of the fall. The sinless life of Christ was the payment for our sin debt. It was the ransom for our release and the proof of purchase. We are now God's property having been purchased by the blood. 
This is very, very important. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Ephesians 1, verses 7 to 8. We are not the devil's property. We were purchased by the blood of Jesus. When you put your faith in what he did, in his sacrifice, the cross. The blood is atonement. You know what the word atonement means? It means making amends for an offense and for any injury that has been caused. So the offense of sin and any injury that it caused, Jesus Christ's blood is full settlement for that. You don't need to whip yourself on the back. You don't need to walk around in your bare feet. You don't need to wear sackcloth and ashes for the rest of your life to pay for your sins, to try to make things right. You need to put your faith in the blood, the work of Jesus, because his blood is the atonement. It is the amendment for the offense and the injury caused. The blood is a covering. Wow, I don't have time to talk about it. I just read it. The blood on the mercy seat. The blood of a sin offering was sprinkled on the mercy seat. This put a layer of blood between the broken law and the righteous judge. God legitimately views and treats us as if we had no sin. So inside the box, which is the Ark of the Covenant, was the broken laws. On top of the angel's wings was the glory of God. But in between the broken laws and the glory of God, there's a layer of blood so that God doesn't look and see the broken laws. He sees that the, the penalty for those sins has been paid. Woo! The blood is evidence. The cross is evidence of God's love and faithfulness. It is the proof of our position in God. It is our claim on divine benefits. It is evidence of our salvation. It is our righteousness. Our hope is built on nothing less. What else can God do to prove he loves you? I mean, why is God having to prove that he loves you? Once you believe that Jesus was, in fact, the son of the living God, the incarnation of God himself, who laid down his own life for the, to pay for our sin debt, then greater love is no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's the evidence. When the devil tells you God has abandoned you, you say the blood of Jesus is against you. When the devil tells you that God, God's punishing you, you say the blood of Jesus is against you. When the devil tells you you're not going to succeed because you're not good enough, you say the blood of Jesus is against you. When the devil tells you that something you did is going to change God's mind about you, you say the blood of Jesus is against you. How can God change his mind about you? He knows everything about you. He knows, every, he knows your past, present, and future. He's not going to suddenly, oh, I'm shocked. No, he's not shocked. You say the blood of Jesus. You don't plead innocent. You don't plead guilty. You plead the blood. What do you plead? I plead the blood that Jesus shed. When the devil lies to you and puts the accusation in your mind to try to cast doubt on, on, on the love of God to you and the presence of God in your life, you plead the blood. That's how you overcome the accuser and his accusations. And when you pull down the accuser and his accusations, you start to experience your salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we come boldly to the throne of grace. 
And our boldness is not based on anything other than the blood that Jesus shed. Coming boldly because we don't come in our own name. We come in the name of him that lived a sinless life, gave his life a ransom for many rose victoriously from the dead and ascended to the seat of unlimited authority and power. We come in the name of our Savior, Jesus. We pray for every person on this webinar and in this training on Facebook and any other means. We're praying for victory in our mind. We're praying that the accuser of the brethren and his accusations will be cast down and that his accusations will be torn down that we will come into the consciousness of the goodness of God revealed to us in Jesus Christ and grow to celebrate with gratitude the goodness, the grace, the mercy, the love of God. And may we draw near to you, not run away from you, Father, but draw near to you in the knowledge of your love. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to a live sermon at ICANN Community Church. We hope that you feel inspired, informed, and empowered to take your life to the next level. We want to build a relationship with you, whether you attend ICC or not. Of course, we would love for you to visit or even to join. But if that's not possible, we can still stay in touch. Go to our website at www iCanCommunityChurch.com and subscribe to our mailing list for updates on special events which may be coming to an area near you. Until next time, this is Bishop Wayne Malcolm saying God bless you.